السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ نحمد رسوله الكريم اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشیطان الرجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم ربش رحلی صدری ویسرلی امری وحل من لسانی یفقه قولی ربنا زدنا علما باب کفران العشیری و کفرن دون کفرن چاپٹر کفران العشیر کفران وٹ از کفران مین ان گریٹیٹیوڈ ان گریٹفلنس سو ان گریٹیٹیوڈ ٹوڈز ہو العشیر ٹوڈز دا ہسبینڈ العشیر از فروم دا روٹ لیٹرز عین شین را فروم دا سیم روٹ از دا ورڈ معاشرہ اینڈ عشیر از ون ہو لیوز وتھ یو اینڈ ہو ڈز عشیر ریفر ٹو دا ہسبینڈ وائی از دا ہسبینڈ کال عشیر بیکاز ہی لیوز وتھ دا وائف اللہ سبحان تعالیٰ ٹیلز دا مین ان دا قرآن دیر واشیر بالمعروف عاشروہن live with them because you are their عشیر so کفران العشیر in gratitude to the husband وکفرن دون کفرن and کفر disbelief or in gratitude کفر which is دون meaning other than or less than کفرن actual کفر this chapter heading is intended to prove that the term کفر does not only apply to the kufr which makes a person a non-Muslim, which excludes him from the ummah, from the millah, but rather it can also apply to kufr that is ingratitude. So every kufr is not such kufr that is mukhrij anil millah, that takes a person out of the fold of Islam, that makes a person a non-Muslim, but rather some types of kufr are such that are what? Forms of ingratitude or that you can say is lesser kufr. Wa kufrin, duna kufrin. You know that there is major shirk, and then there is also minor shirk. If a person commits a major shirk, is he a Muslim? No. But if a person commits minor shirk, for example, he's showing off, does that make him a non-Muslim? You can say that, oh, she's a mushrik, or he's a mushrik. You can't do that. Why? Because they are still a Muslim, but they are committing minor shirk. So similarly, kufr is also of various levels. One kufr is major kufr, and another type of kufr is minor kufr. Alright? So, just as Imam Bukhari has mentioned previously about the relationship between Islam and Iman, there are different levels. One is just acceptance, and then there is true belief from the sincerity of the heart, and then there are levels of Iman. Like for example, if a person feeds other people, if a person greets other people, what does that make him? A stronger believer. So does that mean that if a person does not greet the other, he does not remain a believer? No. There are levels of iman. There are levels of righteousness. The basic level is of Islam, then comes a level of iman, and then comes a level of ihsan. So similarly, when it comes to sin, when it comes to kufr, that is also of various levels. So this is the chapter heading that Imam Bukhari has given. Kufran al-Ashir wa kufrin duna kufr. And this also shows to us that just as the term iman can apply to good deeds, similarly, the term kufr can also apply to ma'asi. The way the word iman can be used for good deeds. Al-haya'u min al-iman. And I told you that iman is of, consists of four things. Also, actions, right? So those actions can be called iman. Like for example, salah has been called iman. So good deeds can be called iman. Similarly, Sins can also be called kufr. But those sins are not major kufr that make a person a non-Muslim. Okay, is that clear? 
And this is just as a statement of the Prophet ﷺ that there are two characteristics of kufr. Ta'an fin nasab wa niyah bil mayyit. That if a person insults the other with regards to his nasab or if a person weeps and wails over a person who has, who has passed away, niyah, and you know that niyah is not just crying but wailing and making, you know, tearing up the clothes and so on and so forth. So these two characteristics are characteristics of kufr. So we see that if a person, for example, commits them, does he become a kafir? He doesn't become a kafir, but he is committing an action that is of kufr. So similarly, ingratitude towards the husband is also what? Huh? Kufr, but which kind? Minor, lesser. It's of the characteristics of kufr. Then Imam Bukhari writes, Fihi, concerning it, An Abi Sa'id al-Khudriyi. From Abu Sa'id al-Khudri, An Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa Meaning something related by Abu Sa'id al-Khudri deals with the subject. So in other words, Imam Bukhari is just referring to a narration, but he's not actually mentioning it over here. He's just referring to it, he's just hinting at it, but he's not actually mentioning it over here. Why? Why do you think so? That if, if just referring to it is sufficient, he will not mention the entire narration. And he's mentioning another hadith that is given over here, hadith number 29. And you will find this very common in Sahih Bukhari, that Imam Bukhari will write a hadith, and there could be the other hadith that he will write even without a chain. Or sometimes he will not even write the hadith, but he will just refer to it. Why? Because he's just mentioning it as an additional proof, as an additional evidence. So he doesn't feel the need to write the entire narration. Like for example, sometimes you just mention a part of an ayah, not the entire ayah. Sometimes you just say, oh, it's in the Qur'an. You don't mention the entire ayah or even the part of the ayah, but you just say it's in the Qur'an. Why? Because it is sufficient. The person whom you're talking to, they know what you're referring to. Similarly, he will just mention sometimes a hadith without a chain of narration, and sometimes just a reference is there, but the entire hadith or the chain is not mentioned. So what is he referring to? The hadith that deals with the subject. It is a hadith that has been narrated by Abu Sa'id al-Khudri, and Imam Bukhari has also reported it in his book, and it's in Kitabul Hayd. It's in book number six of Hayd. And the hadith is that Abu Sayyid al-Khudri narrated that once the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa went out towards the musalla. What is the musalla? The place to offer prayer. And which musalla was this? For Eid Salah. Okay, either it was Eid al-Adha or Eid al-Fitr. So he was going towards there. And then he passed by some women and he said to them, O women, give sadaqah. O women, he addressed the women specifically and he said, O women, give sadaqah. Because I have seen that the majority of the dwellers of hellfire were you, meaning were women. So the women asked, why is it so, O Allah's Messenger? And he replied, that you curse frequently and takfurna al-ashir. You are ungrateful to the husband. Takfurna al-ashir. So this riwayah also shows that kufran al-ashir. That is also a type of kufr. But it is kufr. Duna kufr. It is lesser. And then the actual hadith Imam Bukhari mentions over here, which is Haddathana Abdullah ibn Maslamata, An Malikin, An Zayd ibn Aslama, An Ata ibn Yasarin, An ibn Abbasin, Kala Kala Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallama, Uritu nara, Uritu, I was shown, I was made to see, Uritu. This is Majhul. So Uritu nara, I was made to see the fire, you have Ra'aytu. 
My version has uritu. Doesn't matter. So uritu nara. I was shown the fire. Faida. So then, aktharu ahliha. Majority of its inhabitants. Majority of its dwellers. Majority of its inmates. Were who? An-nisa. The women. Why? Because yakfurna. They commit kufr. Which kufr is this? Kufr? Duna kufrin. Qila, it was said, meaning it was asked, Ayakfurna billah? Do they disbelieve in Allah? Qala, he said, Yakfurna al-ashir. They do kufr of the ashir, meaning the husband. Wayakfurna al-ihsan. And they deny al-ihsan, meaning the goodness that is done towards them. How? That law ahsanta. If you did ihsan, if you were good. To who? Ila ihda hunna. To one of them. For how long? Ad-dahra. As if to say for eternity. If you did good towards a woman forever. Meaning for a very long period of time. For your entire time with her. Summa ra'at. And then she saw. Minka from you. Shay and even one thing. Qalat. She said. Ma ra'aytu minka khayran qattu. Ma ra'aytu. I have never seen. Minka from you. Khayran any good. Qattu. Ever. Does it sound strange? Familiar? Unfortunately. This is very serious. Isn't it? Because this is kufr duna kufr. You can say that yes, it's not major kufr, it's minor kufr. But what does the hadith tell us? That it's an act that is punishable. It's an act that can lead women to hellfire. That can make a woman worthy of being punished in hellfire. Yes, she may be eventually taken out. However, this is a very serious crime. And look at what is mentioned over here. يَكْفُرْنَ الْعَشِيرِ وَيَكْفُرْنَ الْإِحْسَانِ لَوْ أَحْسَنْتَ إِلَىٰ إِحْدَاهُنَّ الدَّهْرَ You're good towards her forever. And then one thing she sees from you that she does not like, and she says, I've never seen any good from you. I've never seen any good in you at all. So she completely washes away, rejects any ihsan that the husband ever did to her. If you think about it, denying the haqq of Allah, is that kufr? Yes. And we see that denying the haqq of the husband, which is gratitude, hmm? is that also a kind of kufr? Yes, it is. Denying the haqq of Allah, why is it kufr? Why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's right upon us is the greatest. Why? Because His ihsan upon us is the greatest. And if you think about it, the husband's right, is that also very great upon a woman? Yes. After marriage, who is a woman supposed to obey and look after? And be very obedient to. فَالصَّالِحَاتُ قَانِتَاتٌ hmm? Who are they? The women, right? So who is a woman supposed to obey? The husband. الرِّجَالُ قَوَّامُونَ عَلَى النِّسَاءِ And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given them a superior rank. وَلِلْرِّجَالِ عَلَيْهِنَّ دَرَجَةٌ So the texts of the Qur'an and Sunnah are very clear that show that the husband has haq over the wife. And why is it so? Because the husband is the one who looks after her, cares for her, provides for her, manages her affairs. So when he has done so much ihsan upon her, it is his right that she is also good towards him, that she is also grateful to him. And we learn from a hadith, the Prophet ﷺ said, that لَوْ أَمَرْتُ أَحَدًا أَنْ يَسْجُدَ لِأَحَدٍ if I would command anyone to prostrate to anyone, meaning any person to prostrate to any other person, لَأَمَرْتُ الْمَرْأَةَ أَن تَسْجُدَ لِزَوْجِهَا 
I would have commanded the woman to prostrate to who? To her husband. What does that show? What does that show? That how obedient the wife is to be towards her husband and how he has a greater rank above her. And we know why that is so. We don't need to go into all of that detail. We have learned about that in the Quran. So basically we see that if a woman is ungrateful towards her husband, then this is a very, very serious matter. It's not ordinary ingratitude. It's such ingratitude that can lead a woman to hellfire, that can make a woman worthy of the punishment of hellfire. And it's very unfortunate that many times women, what happens to us? We become very negative. We have a very complaining attitude. We become extremely demanding. We demand that the husbands work and make money and we demand that they stay at home as well and they work for us as well. And they look after the children as well. That when he's out of the house, he's working. When he's inside the house, he's serving us. That's what we want, isn't it? That's the wish of every woman. But is that fair? It's not fair. We learned earlier, Al-insaf min nafsik. Be just even if it's against yourself. Be fair to that poor man. He's been out since morning working. And if he comes home, you demand more work. And if he doesn't, you say, Oh, you expect me to do everything. This is not fair. You're so selfish. You're only concerned about yourself. You don't care about me. Many studies, they show that men and women, like for example, husband and wife, they can only have a good relationship when they have a very positive attitude. In the sense that the woman gives a haq of the man and the man, he looks after the woman. When the man will look after the woman, when he will be caring towards her, she will be happy. When she will be happy, she will make him happy. When he is happy, he will take care of her. So you see, it's a cycle. But what happens with ingratitude is that it makes you focus on the negatives. He is being good towards you, but yet you will say, see, he came home, left the dishes at the table. When will he learn? He will never learn. Hmm? Similarly, how fair is that? I go to school, I study. Okay, he goes to work, but when I come home, I have to cook, and there he sits easily. That's not fair. You're focusing on the negative. Focus on the positive. When you focus on the positive, it will make you grateful. When it will make you grateful, happier, then only can you have a good relationship with your husband. And only then can he care for you. But what happens is that when you focus on the negative, he will also focus on the negative. And this will only take the two apart from one another and not closer together. There are ups and downs throughout this relationship. There are times when one is going through a harder time at work or something, which is why they're not able to take care of you, take care of the other person. Ups and downs are always there. But it doesn't mean that we become unforgiving. Because the, the attitude that is mentioned over here is a very unforgiving attitude. That if you do even one thing that she does not like, she will say, I've never seen anything good from you. Unforgiving. Forgive the other person. They're human being after all. So it's very unfortunate that we have high expectations, high demands from our husbands. And then if they fall short, because we have high expectations, we completely you know, wash away anything that they have done, we declare them as failures. If you notice the word that's mentioned over here is ihsan. وَيَكْفُرْنَ الْإِحْسَانَ لَوْ أَحْسَنْتَ إِلَىٰ Because it is definitely ihsan on the part of the man that he goes for work and he makes money and he spends it on who? He could use that money to eat out all the time or travel and have fun with his friends. Isn't it so the people who are single, all the money that they're making, they're using it on who? Themselves, enjoying their lives. But the men who are married and who have children, their money, the same amount is not going into buying a nice car or traveling all the time or shopping, but it's going into what? 
the needs of the family. So this is the ihsan of the husband. He could be using all of that money for himself, selfishly, but he's using that for you. And if you think about it, if the husband studies or if he works, he's doing that for who? Why does he need to make more money? Why, for example? Why does he need to bring money home? Why? For you. For you. For your family. So it is his ihsan. We think it's our right. It's his ihsan that he's striving to gain more for you. But definitely there should be a balance. We're not talking about extreme cases. We're talking about normal cases, okay? Extreme cases, they're different. So what's mentioned over here is that if you're good towards her, and one thing she does not like, she washes away everything. So we should be very, very careful, and we should refrain from such statements. No matter how upset, no matter how angry, no matter how tired and exhausted you are, never say such statements, because they can wash away all the good that you've done. That sometimes it's not said through words, but it's through our attitude, expressions. We need to become very careful. Assalamualaikum. Uh, Sorry, I just wanted to share, um, when we were doing Talim al-Quran, uh, there was one time where we were learning uh, about uh, Satina Khadija radiallahu And I remember one of the teachers saying, see how she didn't have any expectations for the Rasulullah He was very busy, and uh, she made sure she took care of the home, she did everything herself, and uh, was not putting any pressure on him um, with regards to anything regarding the home. So, at the time, I was remembering that, you know, the same issue that we're at home and you're not helping me, you're not doing this. And then I, I decided that, you know what, I'm not going to have any expectations for my husband anymore. And I found that putting that state of mind in myself helped me not to actually expect anything from him. But what I found was that when I stopped nagging and asking and, you know, how come you're not helping with this and this, subhanAllah, how he automatically picked up things on his own. So suddenly, like when I wasn't expecting anything anymore, I was happier because now I'm not upset if he's not helping me <laughs> with the cooking or the kids or the, this or this, that. I just, you know, I, I realize it's my responsibility. If he helps me, that's nice. If he doesn't, I don't expect it. But what I found is he actually increased a great deal after that in helping me without me even asking him to. It's very true. That it shows that where we're not allowed to be ungrateful, then we should show our appreciation as well. We should show our gratitude as well. That when they do something, thank them. When they go out of their way to do something for you, show your happiness. Don't say, yeah, you were supposed to anyway. They were supposed to, okay, but show your appreciation because when you will show that, they'll be happier and they will do more for you. Take care of the women. Even in his last khutbah, you men go take care of your women. And what do the women ask for? Be grateful for it, you know. It's not too difficult. The man has a big job. Exactly. Where the man has been told so clearly again and again in different ways that he is responsible for taking care of the wife, then what is required from the women is gratitude, positive attitude. Focus on the good things. I was just thinking the things you're mentioning here, they are like um, the ideal situation. Like as Suzanne mentioned, that when I change myself, the things got changed too. But all the time it never happens. Like there are some exception cases too. So I was thinking uh, for myself, then what should be our role in that case? You do your part. You save yourself from the situation being ungrateful mm-hmm. and leave the rest of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Things yes. will change. If not in dunya, you will get reward. Yes. Because exceptions are always there. Of course, exceptions are always there. This question that came from the online student before when I completed, that what about the husband who is always ungrateful to his wife? Is it the same? Hmm? What do you think? What would you say? 
Being ungrateful is not good. لَهَا مَا كَسَبَتْ وَعَلَيْهَا مَا كَسَبَتْ Right? And each person will get what they, what they earn. And if you think about it, Rashid, yes, technically it refers to the husband, but Rashid is the one who is living with you. So if the woman is ungrateful, she will be punished for it. And if the man is ungrateful, then Allah will call him to account. So we should be concerned about who? Ourselves. Unfortunately, anything that's mentioned like this, we always say, oh, what about the man? What about the man? Well, this is a lesson for us. The men have also been given many, many lessons. And this is a lesson that's specially relevant to us. So we should focus on ourselves. And if you think about it, even at the time of divorce, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran, وَلَا تَنْسَوُ الْفَضْلَ بَيْنَكُمْ Don't forget the fadl that you enjoyed before. Even at this time, don't say that there was nothing good that you found from that marriage. Don't say that. So this is the extreme case of divorce. In normal situations, when a husband and wife end up in an argument, why should a woman think like this, that I've never seen anything good from him? What about the ring that he bought you? What about you know the time that he took you shopping? What about the food that he brought in? What about the many times that he has smiled at you, said good things to you, cared for you? How could you ignore that? That yesterday we had a discussion that some people, they thrive on praise and other people, they get corrupted because of it. So she said that it's proven through studies that men, they especially thrive on praise. That if you praise them, they will really go forward. In her marriage, and she said that what she does when a gathering, when they come together and everybody's praising their husband, she says, I cannot think something good because I've been going through so much with my husband. So what she does is she talks about a small, simple thing that he will do that's good to her that she'll see maybe once a week, she'll say, or once a month. And then she said, that increases my love and that increases my uh, you know, I'd be grateful towards him and that changed my mentality set, uh, how she thinks about her husband. And she says, subhanAllah, within like a year with making dua, like I feel like I'm the most happiest person because I don't go and say my husband is this and this and that. Yes. I just yes. complain to Allah. Many times it happens that women develop a negative attitude towards their husbands or they have high expectations of them because they compare their husbands to other men or the men that they've seen on TV. Honestly. It happens that, oh, look at what happened in that TV show, how, you know, he was so forgiving towards her and how he was working in the kitchen. Oh, he was holding the mop. He was doing the vacuum. That was TV. It's not real life. Of course, negative thinking is from shaitan. That we see that shaitan's goal is what to separate the husband and wife. The shaitan who manages to do that, he is crowned by Iblis. Imagine. So that is his mission, to create strife between the husband and wife. And he comes through waswasa, by putting negative thoughts in your head. Allah said, Very true. Whoever is not grateful to people, he is not grateful to Allah. And this is, you know, something that has been mentioned in, in the sharh of this hadith as well. If you read it in Fathul uh, Bari, that Ibn Hajar, he's written this hadith as well, because it's very relevant to this. Whoever is not grateful to people is not grateful to Allah. And this is why ingratitude towards the husband is a kind of kufr. There are many factors that lead to you know, strife between a husband and wife. It could be because the husband has another wife or it could be because he did something or he said something. So the, so the woman is feeling emotional. But we see that no matter what a woman is going through in her relationship with the husband, no matter what the problem is, and I don't want you to share your problem with us in particular, no matter what the problem is, we see that a woman should not say 
I have never seen anything good from you. She should not wipe off all of his ihsan. He is a human being. And because of that, he will do good and he will also do evil. Just like you. You do good. You please other people. And there are times when you don't even want, but you end up hurting other people. Unintentionally. Unintentionally. So you're a human being. So just as you're a human being, he's also a human being. So be forgiving. Have a forgiving attitude. If you have been hurt, if you feel that you are being overwhelmed with all the work and he's not helping you or he's not sharing the responsibility, be forgiving. It's okay. Lower your expectations. Decrease your demands. And be positive. Focus on the positives instead of the negatives. Our problem is, especially amongst women, whether it's our relationship with our husband or any other person, something small happens, very small, and we just focus on that. We focus on that and we think about it and we talk about it and we cry about it and we share with other people about it to the point that it just overcomes us completely and we cannot get out of that negative thought. And we see that many times such thoughts lead to depression, they lead to anxiety over, you know, exaggerating problems. Something small happens and we say, oh, this is abuse. Hmm? So we have to become very careful. Don't focus on the negatives. Focus on the positives. Wash away the negative. Ignore it. Let it go. You let it go and your problems, your mistakes, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will cause other people to forgive them as well. You forgive others, others will forgive you. So the thing is that if a husband and wife, they're going through any problem, they're going through strife, whatever it is, but there should be no negativity. You see these words, what are they? Words of ingratitude, extremely negative words that are being said, that are being publicized. That's going to affect the husband, that's going to affect the family, that's going to affect the children. Such words should not be said. Sometimes when we're angry, we say very harsh words and we should refrain from them because they can ruin relationships completely. So anyway, let's continue. So in this hadith, we learn that kufr is of different types. It's of various levels. One is major, the other is minor. And ingratitude to the husband is also a kind of kufr. But it's an act that is punishable, for which a woman may be punished in hellfire. And so we should become very careful about this. Next, Bab al-Ma'asi min amril jahiliyyah. The acts of disobedience, what are they? They are a part of jahiliyyah. What is jahiliyyah? Huh? Pre-Islamic era. So you can say any act or any way that is not a part of Islam. What is jahiliyyah? Non-Islamic. Un-Islamic. But remember that jahiliyyah, what does it literally mean? Ignorance. Isn't it so? So, Babul Ma'asim in Amril Jahiliyyah. If a person commits sin, then he is doing actions that are un-Islamic. He is committing actions that are the actions of a person who is ignorant. And this is a fact. The one who commits a sin has ignorance in him. How? He is committing an action that's un-Islamic and secondly, he is doing something that an ignorant person would do because if he was truly aware of the ta'zim that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala deserves, the respect and the obedience that he deserves, then would he disobey him? No. So whenever a person disobeys Allah, it is out of what? Ignorance. Ignorance of who? Allah. Ignorance of the seriousness of the hereafter. So ignorance is a foundation of, foundation of sin. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah An-Nisa, Ayah 17, إِنَّمَا التَّوْبَةُ عَلَى اللَّهِ لِلَّذِينَ يَعْمَلُونَ السُّوءَ بِجَهَالَةٍ 
So when a person commits sin, out of ignorance. And ignorance does not just mean that a person does not know. He knows, but he doesn't get it. So it's not just ignorance, but it's also foolishness, forgetfulness. So al-ma'asi min amnil jahiliyyah. What's the point of mentioning this in Kitabul Iman? Remember we learned earlier that Iman yazidu wa It increases and it also decreases. So when it decreases, a person commits a sin. Does that mean a person is not a Muslim anymore? No. He is still a Muslim, but he is committing an action of, of jahiliyyah. وَلَا يُكَفَّرُ Imam Bukhari further clarifies that وَلَا يُكَفَّرُ يُكَفَّرُ from takfir. What does takfir mean? To declare someone a kafir. Takfir is to declare someone a kafir. So لَا يُكَفَّرُ He will not be done takfir of. Meaning you will not do takfir, you will not declare a person a kafir. Which person? صَاحِبُهَا It's sahib. Who's sahib? The sahib of ma'asi. Meaning the one who has committed Ma'asi, which is min amril jahiliya. So that person will not be considered a kafir. His takfir will not be done birtikabiha by its commission, by committing it. So the one who is committing ma'asi will not be called a kafir just because he's committing that ma'asi. Illa except bishirk shirk. Meaning if a person commits shirk, then yes, he becomes a kafir. But if he commits an action that's other than that, then he does not become a kafir. Why? لِقَوْلِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وسلم, Because of the statement of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم, إِنَّكَ مْرُؤٌ فِيكَ جَاهِلِيَّةِ This hadith will mention later on, that indeed you are a man in whom is jahiliyyah. He did not say indeed you are a kafir. What did he say? That you are a man who has jahiliyyah in him because of which you have done this. And also, وَقَوْلِ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى In the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that, إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَغْفِرُ Allah does not forgive, and يُشْرَكَ بِهِ That He is associated partners with, وَيَغْفِرُ مَا دُونَ ذَلِكَ لِمَنْ يَشَاءُ But He forgives what is less than that for whomever He wills. So, what do we learn from this? That, if a person commits sin, then he is doing something that is un-Islamic. However, that does not make him a non-believer. Why? Because of the evidence that we find in the statement of the Prophet ﷺ and the evidence that we find in the Qur'an. Which evidence in the Qur'an? That Allah will forgive any sin except for shirk. وَيَغْفِرُ مَا دُونَ ذَلِكَ لِمَنْ يَشَاءُ What does it mean by مَا دُونَ ذَلِكَ? What is less than that? Meaning what is less than shirk. And which shirk is that? Shirk akbar. So if for example, a person commits shirk asghar. For example, he's showing off. Or for example... He commits kufr duna kufr, minor kufr. So will that make him a kafir? No. You will not do takfir of that person. One thing before we continue, that, you know these terms, shirk and kufr and nifaq and zulm and fisq, they are of various levels. There is major shirk, major kufr, major nifaq, major zulm, major fisq. And major, for example, major shirk is what? Associating partners with Allah. Major kufr. Give me an example of that. Denying the existence of Allah. Denying that salah is a pillar of Islam. Denying that zakat is a part of Islam. Completely rejecting that. This is what? Major kufr. Major nifaq. What is that? That a person is truly a disbeliever at heart. And he knows that. But he's just pretending to be a believer on the outside. Major zulm. Shirk. Inna shirk la zulmun. Azim. 
major fisk, committing such an action that takes a person out of the folds of Islam. Like, for example, denying, rejection. So, major, what does that do? It takes a person out of the folds of Islam. But minor, minor shirk, for example, riya, minor kufr, minor nifaq. What is minor nifaq? That a person has a characteristic of nifaq. Like, for example, if he lied once, or if he betrayed in his promise, he committed khiyana, then that is what? A characteristic of nifaq, but that's not major nifaq. So that does not make a person non-Muslim. That does not exclude a person from the middle of Islam. Do you understand? And what's the evidence for that? Because إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَغْفِرُ أَنْ يُشْرَكَ بِهِ وَيَغْفِرُ مَا دُونَ ذَلِكَ لِمَنْ يَشَاءُ حدثنا سليمان بن حرب قال حدثنا شعبة عن واصل الأحدب عن المعرور قال he said معرور he said قال لقيت I met who أبو ذر أبو ذر رضي الله عنه where بالربذة at ربذة ربذة is a place that is near مدينة so I met him over there وعليه حلة and upon him was a حلة what is حلة حلة is a garment some say that it's a long dress like a thawb And others say that it is a dress that is made of two pieces. So you can say a shirt and a lower garment. So upon him was a cloak, a hulla. وَعَلَى غُلَامِهِ حُلَّةٌ And on his غُلَام was also a hulla. What does it mean? That both of them were wearing the same dress. Either it was identical or it was very, very similar. And would people do that normally? Not at all. Not at all. So, This was something very strange. So Ma'roor, he said, فَسَأَلْتُهُ عَنْ ذَلِكَ So I asked him about that, meaning I asked Abu Dhar about that. That how come you're wearing the same garments and your slave is also wearing the same thing? فَقَالَ So he replied that إِنِّي سَابَبْتُ رَجُلًا Indeed I سَابَبْتُ سَابَبْتُ is from sab. And what does that mean? To insult. To, you can say, insult someone, to humiliate someone, to abuse someone, to call them names. So I humiliated someone, I insulted someone. إِنِّي سَابَبْتُ رَجُلًا فَعَيَّرْتُهُ And I عَيَّرْتُهُ بِأُمِّهِ عَيَّرْتُ is from عَار And what does that mean? To disgrace, to dishonor someone. To make them shameful, to make them embarrassed concerning a trait that they have. So فَعَيَّرْتُهُ بِأُمِّهِ I insulted him with regards to his mother. How? It's not mentioned over here, but from other versions we learn that he called him that oh ya ibn sauda that oh son of a black woman so he insulted him by insulting his mother so when he said this faqala li so he said to me who said to me an nabiy sallallahu alayhi wasallam prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam when he heard me saying that he said to me ya aba dharrin o aba dhar ayyartahu bi ummihi are you insulting him with regards to his mother إِنَّكَ مْرُؤٌ Indeed you are a man. فِيكَ جَاهِلِيَّةِ In you is ignorance. And then he advised all of the believers that إِخْوَانُكُمْ خَوَلُكُمْ Your brothers. Who are your brothers? خَوَلُكُمْ Your servants. Your slaves. خَوَل is used for property. And it, the term also applies to slaves. So your slaves are in reality who? They are like your brothers. And the only difference is that جَعَلَهُمُ اللَّهُ Allah has placed them تَحْتَ أَيْدِيكُمْ Under your hands. This is the only difference. They are your brothers, but Allah has placed them under you. فَمَنْ كَانَ أَخُوهُ So whoever was, أَخُوهُ His brother was 
تَحْتَ يَدِهِ Under his hand, meaning whoever has a servant, فَلْيُطْعِمْهُ Then he should feed him مِمَّا يَأْكُلُ Of what he eats. Whatever he eats, he should give the same to him to eat. وَلْيُلْبِسْهُ And he should dress him with what? مِمَّا يَلْبَسُ From that which he wears himself. وَلَا تُكَلِّفُوهُمْ And do not overburden them. مَا يَغْلِبُهُمْ That which will overcome them. Meaning do not impose on them such a difficult task that they cannot perform. That is very hard upon them. فَإِن كَلَّفْتُمُوهُمْ And if you do impose upon them a difficult task, فَأَعِينُوهُمْ Then help them. Assist them. Work with them. Don't leave it all to them. These are the beautiful teachings of our religion. What's the reason? Why does Imam Bukhari mention this over here? To prove that if a person commits an action that is unacceptable, that is a sin, that is an action of jahiliyyah, that is un-Islamic, that is an un-Islamic practice. And we learn that racism, this is what? Jahiliyyah. Discriminating between people based on their color, based on their nasab, this is what? Jahiliyyah. It has no room, it has no place in our religion whatsoever. This is absolute ignorance that a person belittles the other just because of the color of his skin. And it's unfortunate that even within the same race, the same family, people will say, oh, this one is not as fair and this one is darker in color. People will discriminate between two sisters just because of the difference in the shade of their skin. This is pure ignorance. The Prophet ﷺ said, إِنَّ كَمْرُؤٌ فِيكَ And the thing is that Asahibul Iman, a person who has Iman, after all, he is a human being. And because he is a human being, he may commit a mistake. Now if you think about it, Abu Dhar anhu, he was a companion of the Prophet ﷺ. He was a great companion. But after all, he was a human being. And when he ended up in an argument with someone, he insulted them in a manner that he should not have insulted them. But after all, he was a human being. So we see that just because he said those words, or just because he made that mistake, it does not make him a kafir. And we see that a person may commit a major mistake, and he may even suffer because of that mistake. He may even be humiliated and embarrassed in front of others because of that mistake. But still, it does not make him a kafir. But unfortunately, we are not that open-hearted. We are not that, we are not that willing to accept people. People make one mistake and we disregard them completely. Just like women, who disregard the favor of their husbands completely. Our problem is that we want everything to be black and white. If a person commits a sin, he becomes a disbeliever. You don't listen to him at all. You don't give any respect to him. And if a person commits one good, then he is the most excellent person who walks on this planet. No. Is life black and white? Is this world black and white? No, it's not. Similarly, people are not like this. That if a person commits one mistake then he can never be forgiven. And if a person commits one good, then he is eternally forgiven. Our religion is not like that. It's not like that. So we should be tolerant, but this does not mean that we should belittle sins. No. Sins are not acceptable. This is not to belittle sins, but this is to be more tolerant and be more hopeful of Allah's forgiveness and mercy. This is why this categorization is there. Major kufr, minor kufr. Major shirk, minor shirk. This is not to belittle sins. This is just realize the vastness of our religion, the vastness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy. Next, 
باب وان طائفتان من المؤمنين اقتتلوا فاصلحوا بينهما chapter Imam Bukhari quotes the ayah that if two groups of the believers fight with one another then what are you supposed to do فاصلحوا بينهما then you should reform between them two do islah between them two Imam Bukhari writes فسماهم المؤمنين Allah calls them believers who وان طائفتان من المؤمنين اقتتلوا believers who are fighting against one another notice the word اقتتلوا this from قتال this is not verbal back and forth This is what? Physical. Physical. But what do we learn? Killing another person. Is that acceptable? Is it a good deed? Not at all. It's a sin. It's a major sin. But again, it does not make a person a kafir. Committing acts of jahiliyyah, committing ma'asi, does not make a person kafir. Because, for example, we learn in the Quran that a person who kills another, then Allah will... Admit him into hellfire. Isn't it so? Haven't we learned that in the Quran? The punishment for the person who kills another. So we say, oh, a person who kills another, he's not a Muslim anymore because he will end up in hellfire. No. It does not mean that he does not remain a Muslim anymore. He is a Muslim, but he has committed a major crime. Okay? Because we see over here, فَسَمَّاهُمُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls them believers. The thing is that when there is a fight between two people, sometimes it leads to killing one another as well. Okay? Sometimes it becomes very extreme. But that does not mean that they have become disbelievers. The Prophet ﷺ said, سِبَابُ الْمُسْلِمِ فُسُوقُ وَقِتَالُهُ كُفْرُ Insulting another Muslim is fisk. And killing him is kufr. But again, that kufr does not mean, does not mean major kufr. It means minor kufr. حدثنا عبد الرحمن بن المبارك حدثنا حماد بن زيد حدثنا ايوب ويونس عن الحسن عن الاحنف بن قيس احنف بن قيس he says قال ذهبت i went لانصر so that i may help هذا الرجل this man i went out to help this man which man is he referring to علي رضي الله عنه remember that there was strife between علي رضي الله عنه and معاويه رضي الله عنه and It led to even battles. Two groups of believers, amongst them were Sahaba and Tabi'een, standing against one another in a battlefield. It happened. So, Ahnaf ibn Qais, he went in order to help who? Ali radiallahu anhu. In order to be on his side. فَلَقِيَنِي أَبُو بَكْرَهُ So Abu Bakrah met me. فَقَالَ So he said to me, أَيْنَ تُرِيدُ أَيْنَ where تُرِيدُ You are intending, meaning where are you headed to? Where are you going? Because imagine if you're going... For a battle, you're going with a sword or something like that. So he asked him that, where are you going? قلت, I replied, أَمْصُرُ هَذَا الرَّجُلُ That I'm going to help this man. قَالَ He said, irj, go back. Meaning, don't go to the battle, but rather go back home. Why? Because, فَإِنِّي سَمِعْتُ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ يَقُولُ إِذَا الْتَقَ الْمُسْلِمَانِ When two Muslims meet, بِسَيْفَيْهِمَا With their swords. فَالْقَاتِلْ Then the killer, wal-maqtool, and the one who has been killed, the murderer and the murdered, both of them, finnar in the fire. فَقُلْتُ So I said, meaning Abu Bakr, he said, when the Prophet ﷺ said that, Ya Rasulullah, هَذَا الْقَاتِلِ This is the qatil. Okay, understood. He is going to go to hellfire because of the murder that he committed. But فَمَا بَالُ الْمَقْتُولِ Then what is the condition, what is the state of the maqtool? Why should he end up in the hellfire? He was killed. He did not kill. Qala, he said, 
إِنَّهُ كَانَ Indeed he was حَرِيصًا greedy عَلَى قَتْلِ صَاحِبِهِ Over the killing of his companion. Meaning he wanted to kill the other person. And he tried to kill the other person, but he wasn't able to kill him. So both the people, because of their intention and their effort, will end up in hellfire. Even if one managed to do it and the other did not manage to do it. So why does Imam Bukhari mention this hadith over here? This hadith is telling us a person who kills another believer, he will end up in the fire. But Imam Bukhari is trying to prove over here that if a person kills another, he is still a believer because Allah calls them mu'mineen. So why is he mentioning this over here? Because finnar, finnar, basically Imam Bukhari is putting this hadith in the right context. And remember that finnar does not mean khulud finnar. Finnar does not mean musahaba finnar. If a person is admitted into the fire, does not necessarily mean that he will remain there forever. He may be brought out, as we have learned earlier in Sahih Bukhari, that how people are at various levels of iman. Isn't it so? And people will be brought out of the hellfire. Who? Even a person who has a tiny amount, mustard seed amount of iman in his heart. So similarly, if a person commits this major crime of killing another believer, he is admitted into the fire, but Allah may take him out. That person still remains a believer. Also it has been said that if the intention of the person is to kill, going there to literally kill other people, then that is not permissible. But if the intention is to reform, then that's a different thing. Like in the Quran, we learn in Surah Al-Hujurat, وَإِن طَائِفَتَانِ مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ قُتَتَلُوا فَأَصْلِحُوا بَيْنَهُمَا فَإِن بَغَتْ إِحْدَاهُمَا عَلَى الْأُخْرَى فَقَاتِلُوا الَّتِي تَبْغِي We have been told to fight against who? The one who has oppressed, the one who is committing wrong. So we are told to fight against them, even though they're believers. Why? Because we have to stop them. We have to break their power. You understand? So if the intention of the qital is to kill and do zulm, that is not acceptable. But if it's to reform, then that is a different case altogether. And you may wonder that how come the sahaba were fighting against one another? How come it became so severe that they went into the battlefield against each other? Why did they have this problem? Remember that they were human beings. And whatever they did was based on their ijtihad. They considered their action to be okay, to be the right thing at the right time. That's what they thought. And for their ijtihad, whether it was right or not, are they rewarded? Yes, they are. And if they were wrong, still they're given one reward. So we should not cut ourselves off from other believers and be lost in this problem forever that all oh, the Sahaba had this fight and you know, this is why they're not Muslim anymore or this is why it's okay to hate so-and-so people, it's okay to hate so-and-so companions. No, we should get out of this problem and we should remember that تِلْكَ أُمَّةٌ قَدْ خَلَتْ لَهَا مَا كَسَبَتْ وَلَكُمْ مَا كَسَبْتُمْ وَلَا تُسْأَلُونَ عَمَّا كَانُوا يَعْمَنُونَ You will not be questioned about what they used to do. You will be questioned about what you have done. One more thing that this hadith also makes it clear that any person who intends to perform an action and he also strives to do it, if he intends to do it and he strives to do it, then what will be written for him? Hmm? That action will be written for him as if he has done it, whether or not he manages to do it. Whether it's a good deed or a bad deed. Like for example, for the bad deed we see clearly in this hadith. For the good deed we learn, وَمَن يَخْرُجْ مِن بَيْتِهِ مُهَاجِرًا إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ ثُمَّ يُدْرِكُ الْمَوْتِ فَقَدْ وَقَعَ أَجْرُهُ عَلَى اللَّهِ He left his home to do hijrah. On the way he passed away, he never got to Darul Hijrah. But what happened? فَقَدْ وَقَعَ أَجْرُهُ 
على الله because sometimes we just sit with the intention yes for the intention also a good intention also you will get a good deed but if you start doing it you strive you make an effort whether or not you were able to complete it still you will be rewarded for it and if a person intends to do something evil and he strives to do it whether or not he manages to do it the sin will be written for him that if a person intends to do something wrong and he starts doing it as well and he says no i shouldn't do it so he stops doing it should he seek forgiveness for what he tried at least yes because for him the deed of the amil has been written it's as though he has done it so this is why he should seek forgiveness even though he didn't manage to fully do it that if a person intended to do something wrong and then he doesn't do it for that also he is rewarded remember that hadith the person who killed a hundred people then and he was migrating to the other place and on the way he died he hadn't reached there but he was forgiven because the effort had begun so once the effort has begun once the work has begun whether it's completed or not it's written for you good or bad challah will conclude over here subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilaik assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh